Hello, this is your fertility pharmacist. This podcast is for women who are trying to overcome infertility. If you keep a pulse on late-breaking fertility research, it could positively alter the course of your fertility journey like it has for me. Hi, I'm Elise, your fertility pharmacist. Finally, I found some drug-related fertility research that is unique, impactful, and easy enough to explain. Also, the research article is open access, which means that anyone and everyone who knows how to use the World Wide Web is able to read it for free. Published a few months ago in Reproductive Biomedicine Online, the paper for this study is called The Novel Incorporation of Aromatase Inhibitor in Hormonal Replacement Therapy Cycles, a Randomized Controlled Trial. The aromatase inhibitor that today's research focuses on is called letrozole. This drug works by binding to an enzyme that would otherwise help testosterone become estrogen. Thus, when letrozole is in your system, your estrogen levels should be lower. It's officially FDA approved for use in breast cancer, but it also is pretty commonly used in reproductive medicine. I previously covered this drug in episode number 19 when women in Louisiana took one walloping dose of letrozole to induce ovulation before intrauterine insemination, also known as IUI. Other studies have tested how letrozole works in in vitro fertilization, aka IVF, to stimulate the ovaries before egg retrieval. Today's study is, to the best of my knowledge, the very first to test using letrozole with hormone therapy before frozen embryo transfer. I'll tell you more about how the study was set up, then get into the results ending with the implications and my two cents on the study as a whole. The study took place at a private fertility clinic in Cairo, Egypt, between August 2020 and February 2021. Women were recruited to participate in the study if they were between the ages of 18 to 37 and previously had frozen at least one day five blastocyst embryo that was considered of good quality. To prep for the embryo transfer, the women started oral estradiol aka estrogen, on day two or three of their menstrual cycle to thicken the lining of their endometrium. When the endometrium was at least nine millimeters thick, the women met with a fertility clinic employee to randomly pick an envelope. Each envelope contained instructions to do one of two things, to keep taking estrogen and add on intramuscular progesterone and oil, that was the standard of practice, or to try something new, which was to add on five days of letrozole dosed at 2.5 milligrams twice daily by mouth to the estrogen before starting progesterone. The study did not have a placebo, so once those envelopes were open, everyone knew who was getting what. By the way, for whatever reason, I keep envisioning the selection process for the envelopes looking like the one used at my dentist office when I was a kid, which involved people congratulating me for being so good than letting me pick a prize out of a shockingly large treasure chest. I'm guessing the selection process here was a bit more mundane. More on this later. Assuming that the woman's endometrial lining became at least 9 millimeters thick on the oral estrogen, and the woman had taken at least 6 days of the supplemental progesterone, the frozen embryo was warmed and transferred. After that embryo transfer, the progesterone regimens changed based on positive tests for chemical and then ongoing pregnancy. Ongoing pregnancy was the primary outcome being assessed in this study, and ongoing was determined here as the fetus reaching at least 12 weeks and having a detectable heartbeat. That is the gist of the study setup. 
If you want more details, head to the show notes. For the first time in a while, I took the time to write up what went on in the study. Time to get into those results. There were 55 women who finished the study in the letrozole group and 54 women in the group who did not take letrozole. The non-letrozole takers, I will call them the control group. Compared to that control group, the women who took letrozole were over 30% more likely to have a chemical pregnancy. The letrozole takers were almost 40% more likely to have an ongoing pregnancy. Some of the saintly women in the letrozole group agreed to having their estrogen levels tested by blood draws three extra times. Overall, the estrogen levels in their blood dropped after using the letrozole, but the estrogen levels partially rebounded again by the time of the embryo transfer, and that was presumably six days after that last dose of of letrozole. The researchers were testing the estrogen specifically in the letrozole group because, as mentioned earlier, Letrozole should have dropped the estrogen levels, and it did. However, the authors believe that the letrozole still kept working, even though it should have already cleared from the system by the day of embryo transfer, based on the half-life of letrozole, around 48 hours. They suspect that the letrozole may have left the blood, but it didn't leave the endometrium. They base this not on their own work, but on endometrial morphology and microscopy work published in a 2005 Chilean study. Though they admitted they ultimately didn't know how it works, they concluded that yes, adding letrozole as they did to hormonally supplemented frozen embryo transfer cycles increases the probability of pregnancy. I calculated how many women would need to be treated with this protocol of letrozole to improve ongoing rates of pregnancy. Per my calculations, five more women would need to be treated with letrozole to achieve one additional ongoing pregnancy. Given that letrozole is relatively cheap, safe, and easy to take, adding letrozole to hormone therapy before embryo transfer doesn't seem unreasonable. I appreciate that the study had enough patients so that potential statistical differences could be detected. And they were. On the other hand, there was a study flaw I mentioned earlier while I was going down memory lane to the dentist. The sealed envelope method of randomizing patients to treatment groups is notorious for its potential to compromise a study's integrity. Depending on the envelope, it isn't hard to pop it open then reseal it or to hold it up against a bright light and see what the contents are inside. You'd think that study investigators would have better things to do than lurk around sealed envelopes, trying to influence which patients go into which groups, but a review showed that clinical studies that did not adequately conceal from investigators how patients are randomized that there was a 40% increase in effect for the active treatment. I'm not saying that happened here, but the write-up of the study neglected to mention one of the key criteria to having high-quality envelope concealment, which was whether the envelopes had additional security measures, like being covered with tinfoil so they couldn't be read. The study said who created the envelope and who opened the envelope, but we don't know anything about the envelopes themselves except that rumor I'm starting about them being stored in a treasure chest. Overall, this was an exciting first look at a new role for letrozole in helping women conceive. Clearly, more studies are needed. Studies that blind the investigators, hopefully the patients too, to which groups they're in. Studies that see if the women actually take pregnancy all the way to birth with this way of taking letrozole. And finally, if these results apply to women who are on different dosing regimens of estradiol and progesterone. As I mentioned before, I geeked out and did a ton of background research on this topic, so 
check out the show notes for related links, study details, and of course, a link to the study itself. That concludes today's episode. And if you read the study too, please reach out to me. Let me know what you think at www.yourfertilitypharmacist.com. This is Your Fertility Pharmacist. Thanks for tuning in.